I remember going into a casino one time and losing $110 on $5 blackjack and like literally being nauseous. That happened. Many, many years, I'll lose that on a hand, you know, and, and like. That happened to me in the Bahamas during my bachelor party. And <laughs> I had one of like that nausea experience where I started on a $25 hand and I was told this foolproof way to win in blackjack. Obviously, not foolproof. Well, you should have run the, the other way as soon as you heard that. <laughs> it, no it's uh, uh, anytime you lose a hand, you double your bet. <laughs> And you just every time you lose and you keep doubling your bet and and <laughs> you can do that if you have a bigger bankroll than the casino. I, I got to a three thousand dollar hand and I decided that uh, <laughs> I did not feel comfortable losing any more money. So, yeah, uh, you can that that works as long as you're willing to stay liquid. That's that was terrible advice. You should have texted. <laughs> me. What's up, everyone? I'm Alex Lieberman. Yo, this is Jesse Pucci. And this is The Crazy Ones. Mic's on, light's on, kind of seeing stars out of the corner of my eye right now. Um, another another week in the life of builders. What's uh, what's going on with you? Well, I, I decided for the first time in Crazy Ones history to not wear a turban to the episode. That That uh, is true. That is breaking news. Really, right the the reason was I see how Sean Puri looks, and he's like the random Indian guy on My First Million, and you're the media guy. And I was like, man, I need to dress down more because he just looks so dressed down. I love you, Sean. And so that's it. So, so, so I was like, I was like the turban. I'm looking too fancy on these episodes. I, no, I, actually, it's I'm, just it's uh it's the end of the week, and I was like, I need to keep it casual. I've had a long. I'm week. all for the casual look, though. It's funny. Um, in the early days of the brew. What the the second it got to like sixty degree weather, I would wear sh- shorts in the office. And I remember uh, one day Austin like got gave me so much shit about it. Um, he's like, I can't remember what he said exactly, but basically he was like, you know, you're setting a horrible example by yeah. wearing shorts to the office. And I was like, in my head, I was, maybe I got a little defensive. I was like, but I don't give a shit if other people wear shorts to the office. What what's your view on like employee garb? Yeah, I think, well, I, I, let me start by saying, like, the reason I actually do take the time to properly put a turban on and, and you know, t- make my beard look tidy, it's like a 45-minute process. And especially on something public, like, one of the tenets of Sikhism, the religion, is actually to maintain the identity, mm-hmm. almost like a, a uniform you don't take off so that you are representing your people and, you know, God and holiness and all that yeah. stuff. And so I do actually take it pretty seriously uh, especially in this kind of a venue, like this is a, a show and it's going to be on YouTube and stuff. So it is interesting because I'm like, yeah, it's still tough to like be here. This is not, you know, it's not not representing, but it's not fully representing. Yeah, I was going to say, like, do you do you feel bad doing this? A little bit. I mean, yeah, yeah no, it makes sense because it's like it's an important part of of your identity. Well, and I also feel I know I'm representing a whole group of people. Um, yeah. and so, you know, to show up with kind of the bandana on, it's a, it's a bit of a, a thing, but this week it's fine. It's uh, I was going to say, Permi- permission has been granted from everyone. Um, but no, I think in the workplace, you know, look, I, I think like, I'm like one of the big fans of these common sense things. I think it's, it's interesting what, what the more interesting category of how you dress in the office is one of the many things that aren't discussed about entrepreneurship which is just like, you got to come up with a policy for how people show up to your office. We had issues with it at, for sure, where people were wearing like cut off midriffs and things. And we just had to like, <laughs> we had to give some guidance. Right. And it's actually like a kind of a dicey topic, especially in San Francisco or other places that are uber liberal. And you say, guys, like, you know, 
we got we have to have some reasonable like type of attire. So shorts, I don't know, shorts don't bother me, but I think there's certain I don't know. Yeah, I it's call like where do you? Sense. Yeah, it's like where do you draw the line? Totally. Yeah, common sense. And I had a thread idea yesterday. Oh, I, went, I went to write it down. I was playing tennis. and I thought of this is like, are you ready to be a CEO founder? That's the that's that be the headline, and then it'd be like, that means are you ready to blank? Are you ready yep. to blank? Are you ready to blank? And not like raise money and generate a genius idea, but are you ready to have your first hire quit uh, the day you need them the most? Are you ready to have to come up with policies for how people dress in your office? Are you ready to? I like uh, that. You get you have to write that thread. Yeah, it's because this. I could write a hundred things that that most people who when they're starting a company or building a company, that's not where their brain goes, right? A hundred percent. Are you ready yeah. to come up with the policy for how dishes get cleaned in the office? It just reminded me. Uh, uh, it was probably 20, 2018 or twenty nineteen. We're at like somewhere between. F- 15 and 20 employees at this point, maybe a little bit more. And, you know, the early days of the brew were all like the, the first few people on the team, you know, we were very, very um, homogeneous, like 22 year old, Mm -hmm. like white male Jewish team. And then over time, um, the, the team uh, got more diverse in every sense, gender, age, ethnicity, background. And I so vividly remember the first time that we hired a mom, we had never had a mom in the company. And then all of a sudden, you know, one day they asked us because they had just had a child recently and they had to pump milk. Austin and I were like, holy shit. Like this is, this is the definition of like when, when you are just, yeah, when you, when you have such a different life situation from other people, you have such blind spots to things you would never think about so we literally, I remember at the time, our HR person person literally had to like put up a, a curtain on one of our right. conference rooms right. literally for them to be able to do that because it just had, and there ends up being inevitably so many examples of that as you go about a business. And so it's almost like sometimes you just hire, when you hire senior people, you're basically hiring people that are just uncovering those blind spots. Yeah. And I, well, I think the other thing that comes up is like, there's, there's, a, we've never talked about it actually. Like there's a lot of the DEI, like, you know, diversity, inclusion, equity, like, like thinking about, there's a lot of people out there. Some of my friends, like on a text chain will be like, oh, like pronouns are so stupid. Why are they forcing everyone to use pronouns or, you know, don't force people to hire different people. And I, my response was like, do you guys think that these businesses are stupid and they're doing this? Like they're caving to pressure. I'm like, no, it's good business. Like, the, like the fact that you didn't have someone like that meant there was probably a whole group of readers you guys didn't understand or appreciate. A hundred percent. Like, uh, you know, the like having having women, having people of color, having tall people, short people, fat people, skinny people, like every type of person helps you actually build a better business. Yeah. Uh, because the <laughs> Let, world is filled with all kinds of different sorts of people. Yeah. And so uh, unless, unless Morning Brew's readership was like... uh Temple Benet Abraham in Livingston, New Jersey. Like we probably needed a group that more like fully represented all the readers of the newsletter. Yeah. And I think for founders, I, I noticed we had a, a thing. I remember we were a few years in also back in the day and we looked around and like, Hey, there was like the male to female ratio was horrendous. There were no male, you know, leaders in the company. The three founders are obviously all men. And you know what I realized at that moment was like the, the ocean you know, the waves of the current of like whatever will take everyone in a certain direction by default. And so if you don't actually swim against them a little bit, especially on DEI stuff, 
you will end up with something that looks like the default. And we yep. made a bunch of changes. You know, the organization made tons of changes to change that. And not because, you know, there were some employees asking for it and stuff, but it was just much more like, wait, this is like, the funny thing about Ampush in particular was most of the people who click and buy e-commerce direct to consumer things are women, right? Mm-hmm. And so it just, it almost made no sense like there was such a disconnect and, and it was said differently. There was such a richness in making sure that the overall company's gender split was, was 50, 50, that we had, you know, lots of leaders who were women. Um, but it's an interesting one because it, it definitely comes up. And I think there's, it's a lot of controversy, like the pronouns thing. My, yeah. my friends, there's people who just go like, Oh, you're forcing it. It's so stupid. Um, and the companies I've been I'm in and around, I'm on the board of this one, like old grocery store here in town. And like, they take it all super seriously and it has nothing to do with, caving to pressure they just believe it's a good business choice a hundred percent yeah um well i i want to hear you know you mentioned like it's friday you're tired you know it's uh it's casual crazy ones today but i want to share i want to get some thoughts from you on what's going on in your world but i want to just share there's like two updates on the two businesses in alex's startup studio right now and so i just want to get your uh, thoughts on them yeah so the first one is it looks like we are going to be uh, pivoting the plunge. Poss- I would say it's it's uh, 80% of the, the path to pivot because basically, and this is where I think like being able to get comfort in the, in the gray area as a founder is so important because you're never, it's not like a test in school where it's wrong or right. Like there's never going to be someone who, gives me a slip of paper that says this game is going to succeed or this game is going to fail. There's so much feel. But the the TLDR is that as we've gotten more people to play this game, you know, we have this ambassador program that I've set up. We have ambassadors who have the game, host weekly games in like five cities. There's been a common thread that we've heard, which is the game is too hard. That mm. people have too much difficulty that the first 10 times you throw the plunger, people will get it once or maybe twice and it right. becomes... Uh, people like get unexcited about it. They get, they, they feel dejected because they're like, this game's too hard F that. Right. You know, we heard this enough where basically I think we're in the place now where we want to go back to the drawing board because I don't think the challenge of the game should be completion. I think the challenge should be competition and like in improving your skill. And so I would say it's not a easy decision. It's sort of like game. the opposite of pickleball, right? I think the reason pickleball is exactly, so popular exactly. is that anyone can pick up a racket and not only play play it for the first time, but I've even noticed, you know, my wife and I have played like I'm obviously a very competitive tennis player. Like when we yep. when her and I play tennis, I have to bring myself down multiple levels yeah. and even then I could easily beat her, easily move her around the court. In pickleball, we're actually it evens evens us out quite a bit even though, you know, uh, I'm good with a racket or whatever. And so it's do you sort of think you're ever going to get, do you think you'll ever get a uh, board of pickleball because of that easiness? I don't think I'll ever be a serious pick. I'm a serious yeah. tennis player and I love tennis yeah. and it's exercise, but I think I'm a awesome casual. Like I will jump in if there, if people are playing it and obviously can hold my own. My wife and I played totally. doubles against this other couple the other day and like, it was fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And so like for me, I don't know. It's just, it's a good example of, I don't know if this is the right or wrong decision. Like there's a chance that we could still push forward with it and people buy it and the difficulty is what some people love. But part of the but reason what's I'm the pivot? What are you what are you guys gonna pivot to? Is we're going to basically test out other suction based games, but that the the uh 
the barrier or like the the floor for completion being able to like do the activity like pickleball is way lower so that people mm -hmm. can play the game and then competition and getting more skillful is the the long-term challenge i also think there's um something that i i not that i want to change about myself but i want to be cognizant about is i I've said this before, but like, I love having original thoughts and original ideas and original businesses. And I think it's actually like a pretty, like, uh, I don't know. It's like a pretty false narcissistic view of oneself because like Morning Brew wasn't original. Uh, this content agency I'm starting is not original. And so I just think we're trying to do too many things. I'm trying to teach people to enjoy throwing plungers while teaching right. people to uh, play a suction-based game for the first time. What I'd rather do is like a remix where I take the rules of, say, cornhole or bocce, something where the behavior is proven, and bring it to a new form factor. But you know you're going to have people who are already interested in that behavior. And can so, I, like, can for, I challenge a little bit? Our, uh, some of our yeah. listeners love it when we actually are like, no, no, I, I want, you, no, okay. I actually want your feedback on all of this. Yeah, I think it's kind of like the coaching episode we did. Like, my story is, you are really excited about this idea. You brought it. You're pushing it into the world. You forgot because I felt like this with Pooforia and other weird things. Like, you forgot how damn hard this is, and how much resistance building something into the world takes. You've had VCs chewing you out and saying you're an idiot. Go spend your time on something bigger. You've had reactions and feedback. And it it feels a little bit too much too fast. Like I, a couple specific pushbacks I have is one is like, you. this is a regular, this is the same. People know what axe throwing is. Like you have done what you're saying already. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It feels like too, it feels like too large of a reaction to something you haven't even given a fair shot in the world. Now, I, I think the feedback is very valuable. And I don't know, I just, this what came up for me when you said that, or what I thought you were going to go was, I'm going to like innovate around the suction device. Like, I'm just going to make it easier. Like, yes, okay, that's a very valuable insight in, iter in the iterative cycles, but I don't think it's abandoned the whole thing. I think yeah. it's make the plunger easier to, maybe so, it's not a plunger, maybe it's a so suction. So it's funny, my, my partner for this business ju literally just sent me a text saying i'm looking at it now he basically was like the designer at the factory in china uh iterated on the design and added a bunch of suction cups to it uh, like like little suction cups to the big one that makes yeah. it super sticky here i'll show you the video uh yeah there you go yeah and, and 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 so that is an option. That that is an option. Is like we made it stickier. That solves a problem. I'll I'll also say two other things in my story of myself that I know are contributing to this. One is my fear of losing money, um, and my fear of putting. I didn't realize how uncomfortable it would be to me to put a lot of money into a business before seeing any return sure from thing. it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, like, 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 honestly, I feel so much more comfortable with this content agency right now. Not only because there, there, I one think time, so when when Red Ventures invested in Ampush, you know, and Rick Elias is like my mentor and a guy like I love and I respect a ton. And we want our biggest client at that time was Uber. Mm -hmm. And you may remember 2015, 2014, like they were losing a billion or $2 billion a year. Yep. And, you know, we're meeting going through the business and Rick, like he just takes a step back in his chair and he goes, man, if my company was losing a billion dollars a year, I could not sleep at night. And totally. and at the time, I took it as a criticism of like the Valley and Uber for whatever reason. That's how it it registered with me. And then as I've gotten back in starting things, 
I realized he wasn't criticizing. He was literally just saying he was he was demonstrating like some self-awareness going, I couldn't sleep at night. Like I couldn't do that. And I've definitely had a similar experience burning cash with Kahani. And it sounds like you've had a similar experience even burning. Yeah, like I didn't realize how uncomfortable the feeling was like I've spent $36,000 on this game. My guess is to truly take it to market. If we run the we're working with the Kickstarter agency, we run like their paid ad plan that they want to run with us. It's probably gonna be another 20k. That's $56,000. Haven't seen a dollar yet. Probably so far from taking profit out of the business. On the other hand, I have this content agency where I have a high degree of confidence that I can charge clients six to $10,000 per month and make a 50% margin on that. And I'm like, that feels really nice. Yeah. And, so and that, lots of your unfair advantages are in that too. But, exactly. but I don't know, dude, I, I it, let me give you one suggestion also that, that helped me a lot when I was feeling similar. And I, I like, I think you're also doing it the way you're funding the business is a little bit too piecemeal and haphazard. And it's like kind of a mind fuck for yourself. Cause every time you have to write the check, you have to revisit those emotions. I would encourage you to like, you know, I, I know you have a lot of cash, like write a hundred or $200,000 check, make your piece that it may disappear. And then, and then dude, and then go all in with that money and let your partner go yeah. in all in all in with that money and you do, it is hard for guys who bootstrap, like, but it's also, dude, it's a limiting issue for both of us. Totally. I very much believe that because there's people who who could sleep at night losing a billion dollars. And I'm not saying don't be who you are, but it's a good opportunity to challenge your growth in a way that, dude, that also like, again, $200,000 you lost is not going to kill you. Like just literally totally. take your bank balance and deduct 200 from it and say, that's the number now. And I'm going to go do my best that I have with this plunge. Because I... I would hate to see you, you know, either in large ways or small ways, throw the towel in on this because I think it, I still believe what I've said to you every time, which is, is this going to be a $100 million business? I don't know. But do I think it could be a $10 million business that made one to $2 million a year? A hundred percent. Yeah. The market's big enough. There's enough people out there. And like, I think the suction thing, I don't know, maybe it's a sticky sheet on top of it. Maybe it's not even a plunger. Maybe it's a, it's, it's like a faux axe that's safe, but will stick to something. Totally. Like, there's an insight here that I, I don't think you should you should shift shift so uh, fast. I agree with that. So I'm meet I'm meeting with my partner on Monday to talk through all of this, and I'll uh, I'll keep everyone updated. It, it, I do find just to to stay on that point for a second around like the discomfort of spending a shit ton of money. I do think part of it is just like. Again, this fear of losing money mindset I've maybe had my whole life. I think the other part is like it is very much the bootstrapper thing. And I think there's just like there is this spectrum of what what an entrepreneur's risk tolerance is. And it's always entrepreneurs are bucketed in a certain way. But I like I really realized I hate losing money so much. And whereas like we look at other founders, whether it's, um, you know, Brett from Figure who's putting so much of his capital into that business. And I'm like, oh my God, this person's conviction and like their ability to risk on, be risk on. I could never do that in my life. But like, I have such a, and maybe it's because it's like, you want a little something that you don't have. Like I have so much respect for that. Like Mark Lurie, who founded Wonder um, and he's building this like utopia in Las Vegas. He took a bunch of his money from jet.com and diapers.com to fund these businesses. It's like- it's I, a I think mind. some of it all is also just like where you start and your tolerance. Like it's just like gambling or I've never drank, but like I guess what drinking is like. But for gambling, like I remember going to a casino one time and losing $110 on $5 blackjack and like literally being nauseous. 
that over that happened. many many years i'll lose that on a hand you know and, and like that happened to me in the bahamas during my bachelor party and <laughs> i had one of like that nausea experience where i started on a 25 dollar hand and i was told this foolproof way to win in blackjack obviously not well you should have run the, the other way as soon as you heard that <laughs> it's, no it's uh uh anytime you lose a hand you double your bet <laughs> and you just every time you lose and you keep doubling your bet and and <laughs> you could do that if you have a bigger bankroll than the casino i i got to a three thousand dollar hand and i decided that uh <laughs> i did not feel comfortable losing any more money so yeah uh you can that that works as long as you're willing to stay liquid that's that was terrible advice you should have texted me <laughs> um but, yeah, but yeah. anyway, th- th- I think that I think that there is a tolerance level, and I always think of it almost for myself, even as like I'm building it up. Like I hope to be Brett one day, <laughs> where I yeah. could just write a ten million dollar check into something and believe in it, or figure out how to grow it in that way. I've done versions. We've all done versions inside of an operating business. I'm sure you've launched initiatives inside of the brew that cost yeah, half totally. a million or a million dollars and lost just, it. It's so not. It's not really your money, or it is, but it's it, it's in a derivative fashion, kind of. I don't know if you, if you hadn't invested in that. Like, I mean, I, I like it, it's with Adrian and I are working on a lot of stuff and, and she sometimes struggles like even to ramp up hiring because she's even more hardcore in that direction. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, we'll track it. Like you're going to, you're going to, we are going to invest in it because we could have taken that money out as a distribution if we didn't take it, but we're going to instead totally. pay people and hope to grow our own. Like, but you know, the other thing to remember is inside of a company, oftentimes the returns on capital are way higher than even an investor ever gets like there's initiatives hiring five salespeople can have a 500% return in a year if you do it well. Right. Totally. Um, but, but I don't know, dude, I, I think you should write a, a, a single check from here on forward. I think you should capitalize the company and you should like, let it do its thing and, and know that trust yourself and trust and trust that after, if you run out with that money, just like, you know, you're done funding it, you're done funding it. And then otherwise this piecemeal thing is going to drive you crazy. Yeah, I, I can, I know, I, I can and, tell you that. It and it's not, I, I think it's going to, you're either going to over undershoot, like some people do the opposite. They keep putting money in and then they, they, they turn around, they spent half a million dollars and they didn't realize it. Yeah. That, that's and, my biggest fear. That's why I'm like, so in my head about, cause I'm like, if I'm not like, if I'm not mentally proactive and anxious about it, I'm going to get to that point. And if I'm at that point, I'll be sick. Yeah. So I think be proactive in going, here's a 200, 250 K check. The operator is also responsible for it. Yep. That's what we have to operate off of. We're going to win, lose, or draw based on our ability to do that well. It means we have to be nimble, fast, et cetera. And if we run out, you know, obviously if we run out and the business is booming, but we just need cash flow, that's different. But if we run out and we haven't gotten traction in the business, then it's time to put a bullet in it and move on. Totally. Um, I will say the 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 other thing, and you probably didn't experience this with Puforia or Umblope because I would think those are products that have pretty damn good margins, but like a a heavy outdoor game like i've never had to deal with something that has true cogs to it and so in my head the fact that the margin you're working with from like square one is yeah not that different i mean again but the the reframe is like it's a different business yeah like i was running services businesses which also effectively have 100 percent. you know you obviously have the cost of your people but uh, and media businesses also have great cost structures. It's also funny because like I, I remember doing it and like it's funny because you, you go on Twitter and everyone, the grass is always greener. Like of everyone's like, I'm running a services business. I wish I was running a brand. I'm running a brand. Yep. I wish I was 100%. running a, a SaaS business. And they all have their own unique yeah, challenges. Yeah, you end up learning ev- every business is hard. <laughs> every business is hard in its own way and multiples like 
getting a million dollar SaaS ARR is probably as hard as getting a million dollars in EBITDA, let's say in a services business. And guess what? They val- those, those streams are valued exactly the same. Totally. So like the market yeah, so is very efficient in terms of how it treats these businesses and these business well, types. Well, okay. So I just want to quickly throw at you what's going on with the content agency. I, I want advice on a few things and then let's talk about you. So this content agency, I did a, um, a crazy ones like journal style episode on this, but the the whole pitch is lots of founders, CEOs, execs like yourself who understand the value of building audience. You, They believe truly that they can drive business through their audience, but they don't have the time or skill to do it. So I'm hiring great ghostwriters to write on their behalf and there'll be different packages. I'm charging somewhere between, depending on the package, $6,000 to $10,000 a month. And I look at the math of this and I'm like, I can get, I, I was like, my my first goal is get this to a million dollars of cash flow as soon as I can. And when I look at that, it's like, it doesn't seem like that crazy. Like say it's a 50% margin business means I need to do $2 million top line. $2 million top line is $170,000 a month. And if I charge a client $8,000, I need 40 clients. So I need 40 clients paying $8,000 a month to get this to be a million dollar cash flow year business. And and by the way, the big idea here is not the agency. The big idea is the people who I help build up their audiences. Can I launch businesses off the back of their audiences? So if I help mm-hmm. the, someone in a niche build up their audience, can then we launch right. a different a different business together off the back of that? So that's like it's like cash flow and then lottery tickets. I think the hardest thing for me and see like you you have an advantage with this with growth assistant, but like my biggest concern is scaling supply. I have zero concern about demand, zero concern. My concern is how am I going to be able to scale enough great ghostwriters to get this to be a significant, like a great business? And I think there's like three answers. It's find supply that other people haven't found that's actually really high quality, unfound good supply. The second is train the supply. So train these ghostwriters, create a ghostwriting school that I also get paid for that become the ghostwriters. The third is leverage AI or automation to scale a ghostwriter from servicing four clients to 15 clients. Right. How would you, like one, do you think, is that the challenge that you would think of when you're thinking about this business? And is, I guess like, if you, knowing what you know, which is like right now, I have three clients. I've, I onboarded the first one today. I'm onboarding the second one on Monday. What would you be entirely focused on right now? Yeah, I think those three things you said, I mean, the answer is yes. Do you do all of them? Yeah, yeah. Right, and who's the CEO of the business? No CEO yet. That's another question I'm asking myself. Yeah. It's like, when do I go and find the operator? Uh, yeah, yesterday. A month ago? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, unless you want to operate and run the business, I think I think it's important. Um, dude, it's, it's like the hardest lesson I've learned from my journey so far. Because uh, I also tried to to shift gravity. Um, and I just don't think there's a way you can microwave that. I, I think, like something has to give, right? You either like for Rick, he kind of ran the business for a certain business line himself with the team for five years before then people started, he, he really created yep. that culture. Then people started breaking off and he can kind of run it with like GMs. Yep. Um, you know, Buffett buys the business. Like there's all these examples, but nobody can get away from you need amazing leadership and you need to be a coach of leaders, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's probably the number one thing I'd be focused on is bringing in someone to, to be your partner and to run it with you. So that's number one. 
I think number and two. And by the way, sorry, just on that, I think if you were to ask me why haven't I done that yet, I think it's a very easy, obvious answer, which is because the idea of potentially paying someone a $150,000 a year salary before the agency is cash flowing enough money to pay for that is scary to me. Yeah. One of the, one of the you know, type seven Enneagram, did I send you the thing that was like news, the acronym news? No. So like the biggest fear a type sevens have or like the biggest anti-pattern or whatever that we try to avoid is being nerdy, uh, empty, stingy, and withdrawn. Hmm. They're like our four anti-patterns to be managed. And it's funny because you're, st- I, I feel the stinginess that you're talking about too. And I've like, I'm a little bit more like, like when I, I bought this exotic car right after the ambush deal closed. And I remember the week before I was like, and this has happened to me with big purchases. I'm like, I just I'm like, oh gosh, like this is, what am I doing? Like I have this now, what if it goes away? And like, I feel tons of scarcity. And I had a moment of like clarity it's like why meditation is good because I had my, the real me came out and I was like, no, this is why I did. Like, I want these, like, I, this is a fun thing for me. I don't need it. Like, yep. but like, this will be fun. And I like, I literally executed the purchase. I think from the time I test drove it till the time I bought it, it was less than two weeks. Oh my God. Um, and I did it because dude, I like part of, part of you, the, part of the reason I want you to do this $250,000 yes, check force, and I want you to lose it. Is because you're going to get past and go, oh, wait, I, st- I still have probably more than I know what to do with. And that's how I feel in a very gratitude you know, way, which is, uh, it's fine. Like, you know, and, and I think that scarcity thing is a real, yeah. it's a real challenge. Oh, yeah. But, no, it, it holds you back for sure. 100%. Well, and one way I desi- I've designed it that could be helpful for you is like, I've done a thing, you know, with some of the partners where they get the first cash out. Yep. Because you don't, at least you don't need cash. I know you don't need cash, right? Yep. So you don't need the cash from the business. So I've done a thing where, hey... You'll get the first 150k out, and you get a chuck of the business. It's obvious why they need you. Both, like, there's at least two reasons. One is you're going to bring supply and the demand, and you're going to bring the expertise and the knowledge. Yep. Which, like, the you know, the right person if they can replicate those things, they shouldn't work with you. But the person who would be the right person would would know that those yep. things are valuable, and learn from you would be the third bucket, right? Like, learn from your experience. So that's where I would focus myself. And then, yeah, I think like in terms of if, if your question is, how do I run a good services business? I would say you don't need more clients yet. Like the CEO should be able to handle the three you have with your strategic input and spending some time and creating the playbook, if you will, because you're the content creator or you're like the you're the guy writing yeah. the way the how for this, how this works. And then that person absorbs it. And then say they get to five clients, they get to some number where it's like, ooh. That's uh, a lot like, you know, and, and the business should be profitable because of the math. And you go, okay, now let's hire one person or maybe two people. Let's like in-house one copywriter and one kind of account manager type. And there, and the goal there, it's going to take three to six months is that person you hire should be able to take on basically the load of those five customers and the experience improves for the customers. Yep. They go, this is better than when the CEO was here. This person's more on top of it. They're more responsive. The, the, the output quality the output's better. Once you can accomplish that, it's like a McDonald's franchise. We used to say this at Ambush in the early days a bunch. Wake our little McDonald's. <laughs> like once we have a McDonald's, right? And that's all it is. Then you go, okay, well, I know how to scale. Okay, you need this type of person to hire. This is the trainings that they needed. This was the way they used this playbook. That They had two copywriters per team. This is the, the you know the yeah. notion templates or whatever. 
But I think a lot of people spend way too much time as the operator running. The CEO has to get out of it other than maybe, you know, you and the CEO have to be out of the delivery of the service Yep. other than maybe coming in, whatever you're willing to do once a week, once a month with like, I'll review stuff and give specific comments. And that's, and when you do that, it all gets up leveled into the organization. Yeah. Like Rick, Rick taught me this and I started doing it is like every time I would meet with teams, we just open sourced it in the whole company. Like the entire company would sit down and hear me and John and some of the other people responding to I think this is like, imagine you, you you looked at a thread and gave feedback in front of a bunch of people. Totally. They immediately absorb it. And then it's like, okay, then next time it just keeps leveling up and leveling up. So you really have to think about that McDonald's franchise. And then how do you, that's how it scales. It scales via the quality of hiring the right people, training the right people and leveraging stuff like AI and tools. They all, they all go together. And so and would I don't you think hire the And would you hire the copywriters full-time or have them as freelancers? I think I'd have both. Yeah. I'd have a couple in-house people and a kind of a network of, of people who know your style. Like even that, like we would have, you know, they're not just copywriters. They're, I don't know what the name of the company is, but they're Lieberman no trained. Huh? <laughs> no name yet. Okay. They're, they're Lieberman we to, trained. We'll, we'll come up with a name on the show. I, I will By the say, way, there's a book called Managing the Professional Services Firm. Okay. Um, which you and whoever the CEO should read it. It's as dry as it sounds, like as, as the, the title sounds, but <laughs> yeah, it's it literally horrible. one of the beacons of like knowledge that like uh, it gives you the entire P&L model. It tells you like how to focus on training versus yep. hiring. David Meister. Really, yeah. It's like looks boring. The title's yeah, li- boring. Oh my God. It's like the world's worst cover. Um, okay. I want, I want to get uh, a quick download on what's going on with you. But first, a uh, quick break to hear from our partners. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Okay, we are back. We talked a little bit about the potential plunge pivot and um, existential crisis I'm going through with uh, spending more money in life and Jesse um, basically telling me to suck it up and uh, and deal a little bit with uh, kind of exposure therapy as it relates to spending on things. And then we went into the agency and actually, you know, honestly, Jesse's like the perfect person to give me thoughts and feedbacks on me scaling this Twitter and LinkedIn agency. And we are going to come up with a name for it in the future. But if you have an idea for a name of my unnamed content agency that now has three clients, please let me know. Shoot us an email at the crazy ones at morningbrew.com. But uh, before we uh, finish up for today, I want to talk about uh, what's going on in your world, Jesse. What's what's up? Man, there's a lot going on, um, which we can talk about probably in detail at a future time. You know, I, I think what I would say is, is like the the process of entrepreneurship it it's like one of the reasons i love it is because it's such a growth dojo it challenges you in every way like there's just not a way it doesn't challenge you and i think one of the kind of experiences i've been dealing with in the last few weeks is just really sort of this mix between when do you sacrifice versus when are you true to yourself and i think it's it's not often like a well it's not probably something that i'm sure every entrepreneur listening is nodding wildly but most people who are not entrepreneurs don't understand it that like pretty quickly this could go into my thread like are you ready to be a ceo are you ready to have the expectations of employees investors 
customers, partners, you really absorb those on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I know for many, many years at Ampush, that was like the only reason I was continuing to run the company. And, and it took me multiple years to like unwind that from myself. And so, yeah, I think that that's like, you know, just debating that in my head and going like, well, to what extent am I being true to myself in certain ways? To what extent am I am I doing things because of the expectations of others? It's a challenge every human deals with, by the way. I think it's a little bit more, well, I don't know, actually, I guess this is the only thing I've ever done. But in my experience, it can be very intense as an entrepreneur um, yeah. and not wanting to let people down and not wanting to. Uh, and especially for me, I think I, I hold a lot for being a great people leader and, and employees. And so. I think when you disappoint, like when you make a business change or a shift, it can be a really hard thing to do. Um, totally. And, and I feel like also, thing. I feel like such a big question there also about how much do you like sacrifice do the versus do the things that, you know, you're being true to yourself on is I've always asked myself this question of like, is it possible for me? Like in some ways, I think I can be a better entrepreneur today than I was eight years ago because I have more tools, knowledge, network etc more resources around me but on the other hand i'm like i'm never going to like it, it's gonna be very hard for me to be as motivated to climb through shit and do things i don't want to do again like this stuff we were just talking about with the plunge of like you know uh a little bit of adversity to the business i'm already thinking about the pivot like yeah. probably for morning brew i can't remember what my thoughts were but like yeah, that you was put like, your head down and jam through it, and, and said, exactly yeah. Exactly. So like, it's also, it's interesting, you know, for, for us as we're kind of moving on to our second, third, fourth at bats, what is the right proportion while, while not quote unquote being like too comfortable in kind of the the seats we sit in now? Yeah. Yeah, You know, I was talking to my coach yesterday and he interestingly was sort of like, you know what, Jesse, like the head, you know, by the way, type seven is a head type, right? There's three types. There's a heart type and there's a gut type of the nine Enneagram types and our type and is what, a head And type. what does that mean? Head is like thinking, like it processes it through information, data. Heart is like literally like my wife is like this. It's like, what is she feeling? What's her, what, mm-hmm. what, what's her intuition picking up? Like she's, she's not even consciously reading body language and tone of voice and all these other things that I like probably into, you know, basic to pick up on and gut is like what do you want what's like what's wanting like it's almost like what's pulling you mm-hmm. and one of the things i've been working on is like learning how to actually like listen to heart and gut um and so a lot of my reflections with him have been like just like literally pay attention to the physical aspects of your body as a as a way to figure out whether or not like are you really doing this because this is what you're what you want to do this is what you think the right path is or are you like are like to what extent are you bending or shifting you know your uh, your being and and how you want to be because you think it's the right thing to do or because you you're trying to follow a certain path right and i it's funny i i like i understood this in a much more basic way many many years ago like people would ask me coming you know i went to penn i went to wharton there's a lot of successful people out of there and they'd go like who's the most successful and every kid there is a little insecure and you know whatever and i'd say you know it's funny the most successful of my friends this is when i was like 30 let's say they're the ones who just knew what they wanted and they just committed to it. And that, and like funny answer. I was like, were they consultants? Were they bankers? Were they hedge fund guys? I'm like all of the above. Yes. It just like, like the guys who became entrepreneurs, like, you know, uh, Nat Turner is a really successful buddy of an entrepreneur. Like he just knew, he knew from the minute and he, not just did he know, but he was willing to commit to it in a way that a lot of kids who go there are not. But same thing with like my hedge fund, rich friends, 
Those guys loved investing. They never went off of it. They always stayed true to what they what they knew and what they wanted. And so, you know, I, I think there's just something, I think tuning into knowing when you're doing what you want. I guess maybe to answer your question, I think the balance is self-awareness mm-hmm. and being willing to say like, oh no, I, this is not what I want. And maybe at certain times you will say, okay, for a few months, I'll, I'll try it this way to see what I think of it. But ultimately you're you're able to kind of like, you don't get stuck. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the awareness piece is huge because... I mean, I, I'm um, I'm record I'm gonna record a Founders Journal episode on basically zone of genius and energy audit because those are chapters from Matt Mochari's book. Like you've talked about zone of genius a lot, and the exercise I did yesterday that I found to be really helpful. And I don't know if you've done this a bunch of times in the past is like the energy audit, which is like I've gone through I went through my calendar the last two weeks, and I uh, color coded red or green. Green were things that gave me energy. Red were things that took away energy from me. It was also a really good litmus check for is what I believe my zone of genius to be actually what is shown by my calendar of the things that give me energy and don't. But like, yeah, yeah, like I I think like I didn't even have awareness of the things that I necessarily didn't like. For example, like I do this 60 second startup series we've talked about in the past. I had five hours of recording them last week. And they were completely energy sucking. And they were energy mm-hmm. sucking because like I love creating content, but it's not my creative side because I'm asking the same freaking 13 questions every right. time. I'm right. like, why Why couldn't I just have play a recording of me and they record their answers to it, and, which honestly I think I should do. And so, yeah, I think to your point, like it's before just you have even, them answer the questions and you just <laughs> that's that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm gonna do. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And but. So to that point, it's like, yes, like you're going through in your head the decision of how much am I willing to sacrifice versus do what I know to be true to me for how long. But even before that, you need to know what is true to you. What is true to you, totally. Yeah. And so like that, I think in, you know, I'm going to do the Founders Journal about this, but like we should talk about that in uh, upcoming Yeah, the genius exercise is great. I think the other thing I'd add quickly is is knowing the – it's not just zone of genius, but it's also understanding your context for things. Like you could do 60 second startup from probably an excited place or your entrepreneurial mind gets engaged and you can do it from a like chore place. Yep. And that's kind of true for anything. And so like, that's also starting to figure out how are you relating to the thing you're doing in that moment? You can, uh, like, like Adrian and I talk about it for her for growth assistant a lot where when she relates to it as helping the people, especially the, the the folks in the Philippines, she she wants to grow the business forever and to be huge because she thinks she's really helping and she wants to help people. When she thinks about the PNL, it's super under-motivating right. for her. It's basically you're saying like finding a way to like channel the right motivation before you do the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay, let's uh, finish up with a quick AMA from a listener. We had uh, a bunch bunch of questions sent in from Crazy Ones listeners and viewers. And if you do have any questions for Jesse and I and you want us to possibly answer one on an upcoming episode, shoot us an email at thecrazyones at morningbrew.com. But today's question comes from Aaron P. And Aaron asks, I've noticed my boss doesn't take feedback well. What do you do to navigate it? Especially if the feedback is important and crucial to the business. How do I create more psychological safety when delivering tough information to my boss? What do you say? I was just like imagining being like, hey, boss, you don't take feedback well. And he's like, yes, I do. I love feedback. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, it's a tough one. You know, I think, you know, I, I will say in defense of founders everywhere, 
uh, it's hard for someone who works for a founder to fully appreciate the amount of things going through their mind and the amount of things on their plate at any given time. So I will say that like, it, it, it's just one thing to create a little bit of empathy for founders. It's just like, no one, like I had a lot of people who, even when I was like, I would argue not a great leader who left Ampush and eventually started their own companies. And every single one of them would call me one day and go, yep, totally. wow, Jesse, I, I had, I would have behaved differently. I would have tried to be more helpful. I just didn't get it. I did not understand what your play was like. So with that said, I, I think the best suggestion I'd have is like, I think you got to you maybe ask the person to go to dinner, get them, get, you know, get them out, get them out of their matrix. Even before you start jumping to give feedback and stuff, like there's a little bit of like, hey, hey, is now a good time? Hey, could we schedule time so I could give you some feedback? Would you be OK with that? And actually, like, let the founder get to the place where they're they're ready to listen and ready to hear it. Most founders do want to learn and get better. Not all, obviously. But um, I, one thing I would just try is, like, try to also Consider for a second that that founder doesn't know how to create safe space for themselves. How about yep. that? Yeah. Right? They have no idea how to actually even not judge and criticize themselves, much less anybody else. And so they may even need help going, can, can you know, can I give you some, can we spend 15 minutes? You Would you be open to feedback? And then like, and then say, would you be open to like listening and just kind of hearing me out? And then, and then if they say no, or like you're not scheduling time, then that's one thing. If they say yes, then, then try to give it to them at that moment. I also find like being very upfront about your emotions in that moment can be a very uh, a easier way to broach that conversation. If sure. in that moment you're like, uh, you know, I want to be totally upfront with you. This is really nerve wracking for me right now. Like uh, I'm I'm a little bit scared in this conversation, but I feel like it's really important to have. And so I'm just going to say it, and we'll 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 you know we'll see where that leaves us. I think that's yeah. one. I'd ask the, before uh, even saying that though, like, and I'd say blah, blah, blah. And I'd say like, so can I have it? Is now a good time? Oh, no, it's not. Totally. Okay. You're super busy. You got 10. Okay. Can we schedule a time? Can we go grab dinner sometime? Could we go for a walk totally. around the block? I also think um, it's kind of like in some ways the reverse of radical candor from Kim Scott, which like I generally view that as um, you as a manager, what's the best way to land feedback with your employee. But I think it works in the reverse where it's like give you as the employee not only can be open and honest with your manager, but also they know you care deeply about them and more importantly, the company doing well. Like if you believe they truly believe that to their core, I think it gives you more permission to speak more directly when they're like so-and-so employee, totally. they want to see me win and they want to see the company win. Yeah, so no, I think it makes good sense. It's it's not easy. I mean, I think no. feedback is one of the hardest things for sure. And And creating psychological safety when it doesn't exist. That is a really difficult thing. Okay, this was a fun conversation as always. Thank you, Crazy Ones, for listening to the episode. As mentioned, shoot us an email at thecrazyones at morningbrew.com. Introduce yourself. We want to chat with many of you. And uh, we will talk to you all next week. Later, everyone. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.